Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At the beginning of the pandemic, Chris Zettler had a lot of time on his hands. I was stuck at the house and had to find something to do. Uh, I did not have too many expenses at the time. Chris is in his 30s and is studying for a degree in finance from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And Chris says he decided to take that extra time and try out investing in the stock market. He decided to start with companies that would be considered responsible investments. I bought solid companies that had been around for 30 years and I saw being viable 30 years in the future. Those were companies like Coca-Cola and Southwest Airlines. But it wasn't quick enough. It wasn't doing anything fast enough for me. But not long after this, an entirely new trend in the stock market would catch on. Tonight, it's Wall Street's David versus Goliath. The struggling video game retailer GameStop, suddenly one of the hottest stocks. But Carl, this is what's gripping America. And we don't really no, have I an know, answer. I know. The video game retailer has soared about 800% in the last week. All eyes are on AMC this morning after shares of the theater chain nearly doubled on Wednesday. In a bizarre turn of events, struggling stocks like the video game store GameStop and the movie theater chain AMC suddenly became hot commodities thanks to hordes of social media users driving the stock up higher. Eventually, Chris decided to take his own ride on the meme stock wave. Chris took $1,000 that he had in savings and his government stimulus checks, and in May of last year, he decided to buy stock in AMC. The next month, he sold it for more than double what he had paid. And around the same time, he also tried out some even riskier investments, too, like options trading. That would let him buy stock for a set price on or before a set date. And he says he decided to buy call options in Virgin Galactic, which is Richard Branson's space exploration company. And his account, well, it sort of went to the moon. My account doubled in in a single day because of those, that call option value. It was the biggest rush I've ever had. Chris saw his account go up and down and up and down. I would wake up at like 4.30 every morning to check futures and make sure my, my account wasn't at zero. Chris says that this time in his life felt pretty stressful. In the four o'clock to my time 8.30 window, You can't do anything about it. You can't sell, you can't buy, you can't do anything. You can just watch and suffer. Chris had started to see both the highs and lows of these markets. But how long could he keep this going before he might lose it all? (laughs) 
Over the last decade, it's become more and more difficult for young adults to build wealth in more traditional means. They're saddled with student loan debt, housing costs have skyrocketed, and inflation has since hit an all-time high. And so, this experience that Chris Zettler shared is hardly unique. In fact, he's part of a whole generation of younger investors who've decided to test their luck, buying into volatile assets like meme stocks, crypto, or NFTs, with a small chance that they might hit it big. On today's episode, what does it mean when a generation of investors has decided to take their money and treat it like a lottery ticket? I'm Michaela Tendera from the Financial Times, and this is Behind the Money. So, uh, Madison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Madison writes about retail investors for the FT. That means reporting on people like you and me and how they decide to invest. And since the beginning of the pandemic, she started to notice something. So I first got interested in this when one of my housemates came into my room and said, I think I'm going to download Coinbase. And I was really struck by this because this particular housemate did not even really use online banking. (laughs) And so we started to talk about why she was interested. And she had just gotten back from having lunch with a friend who had bought Bitcoin in like 2013. And then that friend had used essentially the money that they had earned from this investment to put a deposit down on a house. I think a lot of people our age, like we all know, mm-hmm. maybe it's not someone you directly know, but it's a friend of a friend who yeah. has a success story like that, that makes you kind of gets the gears turning. Like yeah. maybe that could be me. What I realized is that you you don't have the popularity of NFTs or cryptocurrency or meme stocks if you don't have a generation of people who've essentially been excluded from meaningful wealth accumulation over the last decade and who kind of feel like they have to get lucky to be financially okay. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean by that? The growing gap between rich and poor Americans is one of the biggest challenges facing the country. A recent report reveals the world's nearly 3,000 billionaires increased their wealth by $5 trillion last year. Consider this. Two-thirds of the total wealth in this country is owned by the richest 5%. At the same time, more than 38 million Americans are living in poverty. We're in a time with unprecedented levels of inequality. How many billionaires are there in America? And then how many people are living paycheck to paycheck? They look at the things that their parents have. They, They see houses and mortgages and comfortable retirements and the financial reality of being young now can often make those things feel virtually impossible to access. You have a generation of people who are facing down being less well-off than their parents if they play by the traditional rules, if they invest and save and like what they get 1% interest on their savings account, what's 1% going to buy you? (laughs) So people started to think like, okay, I have this, I have $5,000. $5,000 is never going to buy me a house. But $5,000 in Bitcoin, like, that could be $500,000 or that could be $5 million. So why not take a chance, you know? 
the odds are better than zero. You know, when you take their options away from them, people behave in unusual and new ways. And we're starting to see that play out in financial markets. How so? It's hard to tell this story without telling the story of the rise of low-cost stock trading like Robinhood, that when commissions were eliminated from stock trading, all of a sudden there was no friction in the system. There was no sense of, oh, I have to place a trade that is going to be this successful in order to cover the amount of money it will cost me to make this trade. So it was very easy to just like throw out shots. It was very easy to make money on options because the market was only going up. And so a lot of people got involved in the market during the pandemic when there was a price correction and all of a sudden it became a little bit cheaper to buy stocks. Um, And as more retail investors got involved, there was a lot more like momentum behind certain popular shares and it became much easier to make money on amplified trades or to use leverage. What about other factors? Social media has profoundly changed the way that people get information about investing, about the way they ask questions. How? We started to see research come out that people are much more likely to take big risks when they're with their friends. People are much more likely to take risks when they think they're being watched. And social media has played a role in creating a digital hangout room for people who feel like they're hanging out with their friends. And so it's much easier to take a big risk and then lose tons of money if you can then post about it and laugh about it with your friends. Because people tend to post more about big gains than they do about big losses, it creates a false sense of risk where people think that they tend to overweight the positives and underweight the potential negatives. So Chris told us that he found out about some of his stock picks by talking to friends on the messaging platform Discord. Are you seeing these types of conversations play out on other platforms? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of this, the conversation around these assets take place on social media platforms such as Reddit. Twitter is also big for it. Actually, the research is interesting in in terms of how the platforms operate. So there, there's evidence that investors on Discord actually benefit from the real-time discussion because it's very easy to quickly dismiss misinformation. Can you describe who kind of like the typical investor is who you've seen making these kinds of high risk uh, decisions? So there is data that men tend to be more impulsive investors. They require less information to feel comfortable making an investment decision. So that's one factor in why they were so quick to kind of jump on some of these trades. But another factor that we see is men more than more so than women have their kind of societal value tied to their professional and financial success as it's become harder to accumulate wealth we're seeing that men in particular have been hit by this kind of step change why are people having this appetite now to make these high risk investments there was an interesting kind of confluence of events where you had social media zero commission trading Everyone was home (laughs) and stimulus checks. And this all kind of operated as a perfect storm to push people into the markets. And the other thing that we're seeing is even though there was an economic pullback and the stock market got briefly cheaper, the cost of housing has only gone up at record rates. Inflation is eating away at people's savings at record rates. So do you feel like 
income inequality, wealth inequality is amplifying what we're seeing with these risky investments? Definitely, because as much as we have this kind of fuck it economy of people who are like, well, why why the fuck not? I'll just put some money down. Maybe I'll get lucky. We also have people with just stupendous amounts of money who are kind of like, why the fuck not? Like, I'm just going to spend $65,000 on an NFT of a pet rock, <laughs> which is just such a nice, it's such a throwback to the actual pet rock phenomenon, which was supposed to be stupid, right? So it's people who are spending ludicrous amounts of money on things that are supposed to be kind of stupid because they have so much money and they don't really know what to do with it. This normalization of these assets by really rich people increasingly normalizes them to a lower demographic of investor thinking, oh, well, if that person is buying this NFT, then NFTs must be a smart investment. It compounds like the societal acceptance of these of these assets that are relatively new and untested. I think U.S. listeners might think that this is just an issue here in the U.S., things like housing costs or inflation. But you found that this is actually something that's been going on around the world. Could you explain where you've seen that? And is it for similar reasons? So we're seeing a lot of the same factors that are driving the trend in the U.S. also show up in the U.K. and Europe. Housing is decidedly expensive. Wages have not gone up in a long time. There's a real sense that this generation won't have the same financial advantages that their parents knew. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. It's a lot harder to not go to college, to have a blue-collar job, and still be able to pay down a mortgage or afford rent in a major city. It's these things are increasingly out of reach for people, and so they're reaching for the same alternative tools. What do you think could change to make it uh, less likely that um, young investors feel like they need to take these sorts of risks? I mean, beyond like housing policy and <laughs> wage growth. I think the number one thing that people talk about around improving outcomes in the space is education. It's, financial education is not compulsory in American schools. It can be something that people feel that they have to seek out themselves. And if they're seeking it out on social media, it becomes risky whether they're getting the right information or what kind of um, communities are inspiring their trading behaviors. Financial education remains the biggest thing for combating this sense of despair, helping people realize that savings really can add up over time. Compound interest is a miracle drug. So, Madison, the market has since taken a real downturn this year. How are young investors handling this? What are, what are you seeing now? It's a little too early to say, but we're still seeing that the levels of margin trading, so the amount of money people are using to leverage their bets or borrow money in order to place bets on brokerage platforms remains above pre-pandemic levels. Oh, okay. So people are still, you know, taking big swings with, you know, the potential for big gains, but also big losses in a down market. And for investors, it can be very difficult to not throw good money after bad. You know, if you're down a lot, there can be a real survival impulse to try and correct what's going wrong and that can lead to greater and greater losses. To be honest, listening to all of this, it's rough to hear about so many people feeling hopeless about their future financial security. And it can really hit close to home. How are you feeling? I think my takeaway from doing this reporting is that the people who are taking these big swings are doing it 
in a way that feels very rational to them. If you have a 1% chance of success, but the alternative is failure, the 1% chance of success is the rational choice, right? If your security or your safety or your future is on the line, big swings make sense. And so my conclusion was that these investors, even though might not agree with some of their decisions, were operating in a way that was financially rational. And the problem is on a much higher policy level. Like The problem seems to be that we've created a generation of people who don't feel optimism about their futures. They don't feel like they're going to have the things that they want or that they need, and that is a bigger existential crisis that we should be dealing with as a culture. Yeah, and this sort of reminds me of Chris, who we heard from at the beginning of the episode. We'll hear more from him in a moment, but... Madison, thanks so much for coming on the show this week. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. So for Chris, around this time last year, the stress of managing his trades was sort of getting to him. I ran it up to, I think, 52,000 was my highest point. Um, and the, the irony of the whole thing is that once I got to that point, I thought my first thought was, all right, I'm going to slow down. So what, what did I do afterwards? I gave some of it back. Chris says that after seeing the value of his investments go up so high, he then quickly lost about $20,000. I'd finally decided to take some out. And uh, it was it was a thought process of, okay, I have enough money to pay the rest of my school. So if if people say that everybody blew their stimulus money, I am a contradictor to that. I paid for a degree. So Chris's story has a happy ending. He was able to take $20,000 and use it to pay for his college tuition. But even he acknowledges that a lot of his success is just chalked up to luck. Looking back again, it was 100% luck. I didn't know anything, frankly, still don't know anything. Chris says he plans to graduate in December, and now that school's paid for, he's really pulled back the reins on his investing strategy. I still hold a portfolio, but it is significantly less risky. I don't worry about it on a day-to-day basis, and I just let it grow, or not. In fact, Chris says that if someone else asked him how they should invest their own money today, he'd tell them something very different than what he did. I would pick probably a very low-risk amalgamation of assets. I don't even like tech because of how risky they are now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I guess that's the, the full circle.
Behind the Money is hosted by me, Michaela Tendera. Stephanie Horton is our contributing producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.